So let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, teach us your ways this morning. Teach us your word. Prepare our hearts for worship. Let us see Jesus more clearly. And let us come into a, just a dynamic presence through your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you guys want to open up, there's no outlines. The outlines are your Bibles. Use your ears. And if you got those, then you should be sufficient. <clears throat> so, um, I do want to remind, or I just, I, in, I like doing the 930 in these teachings because uh, you guys get to talk back. And you hardly ever, uh, even when I pander to people and say, hey, give me feedback, give me feedback, give me feedback, and I get like two people giving me feedback over the course of like eight weeks. Uh, and so now, I like the 9.30 because you guys have to talk. And so we're going to go through Acts chapter 23 and 24. And I decided to do that because, uh, honestly, I was thinking in... What I'm doing through the Acts series is really focusing on building culture and what, uh, what Christ commissioned the early church to do, in a sense, was just build culture that is going to outlast the Roman Empire, which was in a moral decay. That was uh, The culture was going to suffer persecution. The Christian culture was going to suffer persecution. Even the cities that they lived in were going to get burned to the ground and fall, many of them. And they had to build a culture in their individual churches in cities that was going to outlast that. And so <clears throat> I've been trying to focus a lot on that and the culture we build and even uh, some areas that, uh, that we need to consider. And, and um, honestly, Acts 23 was hard to do that with. <laughs> so I was like... <laughs> Uh, and I'll, we'll give an overview, and, I'll, and maybe can see why. But uh, uh, Acts twenty four gives us gives me a better opportunity for that. And it's it's still we're in the uh, chapters when Paul's gone to Jerusalem. He had prophet there had been a prophet that had showed that he's going to get arrested. He's going to suffer persecution. He might even die, and he was ready for it. And so he gets to Jerusalem in Acts twenty uh, two twenty one. And, and another riot ensues, but this is, this is kind of the final riot for, for Acts uh, that, on this account. And so, uh, just to remind us of the kind of theme verse that we're looking at is Acts 1.8, that Jesus says that when you receive power from on high, then you will be my witnesses in all Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so much of what being that witness was, was being a, a cultural citywide witness that they were going to build churches, communities of Christ, that were going to be witnesses to the surrounding culture. And certainly that, that as we talked about, as I talked about last week, might have been two weeks ago, is that there's individual witnesses and individual testimonies, but there's also a corporate testimony. And so uh, because of the 930, we don't have a scripture reading, and so we'll get a little caught up and give you some context. Uh, but we're going to focus on the last couple verses in Acts 24, but... Do me a favor and don't read them yet if you haven't, because I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask you, and if you answer it right, you're going to seem really smart, but if you read ahead, you're a liar. And so, <laughs> so if, you read it, if you haven't read it yet, uh, don't read it yet. And so in Acts 23, uh, as we get, Paul's been arrested, he's, he's really... Uh, 
there was a riot in, in the temple. The Jews just incited a riot because he was there. He really wasn't even preaching or doing anything. They just saw him and started a riot. He gets uh, the Roman tribune, uh, essentially arrests him. He's like, excuse me, I gotta, can I say some words to the crowd? Uh, they let him. Um, they, get, they give a speech in, as, as in, in Acts 22. As soon as he says that the, the gospel, essentially, and God's calling in the Gentiles, they get really angry at that. And they try to kill him, and so they take him into the barracks. And so now Paul's in the barracks. Uh, he goes before, he ends up getting before the Jewish council in Acts 23 is where we'll kind of give you an overview. And um, so he's before this Jewish, the tribune brings him before this Jewish council. I think it's after about five, it's the next day, uh, if you look at the end of the, Acts 22. So Paul's talking to the Jewish council. He actually says uh, that, uh, he kind of says, God curse you. You guys are wicked people. And then he doesn't realize that it's the high priest. He apologizes a little bit. And um, I think he was being sarcastic. I think you can't sit in front of the Jewish council and not know who the... Yeah. Yeah, the high priest commanded uh, one of the temple guards to, to, sw- to smack him, and I say smack him, uh, and he was what? Yeah, and I doubt that he didn't know who Ananias was. I, didn't, I doubt that he did frequent trips near Jerusalem, and I doubt he didn't know who he was and, and what garb he wore. Yeah, and so uh, one thing I want to note is that in these, in these chapters, Paul is getting arrested, going before the council. A lot of these things are mirroring the arrest of Christ, minus the, the riot. Uh, and, but what do you, what's the, I want to ask, what's the main difference that you see between Paul and Christ? Yeah, he defends himself. So Christ, as he goes, he's a sheep to the slaughter. He's silent, even goes before Pontius Pilate and doesn't really say anything except for like, when Pontius is like, they say you're the king of the Jews, and he's like, well, well you said it. <laughs> yeah. And, and but Paul says, God curse you. <laughs> he's like, you guys are wicked. Uh, God is going to curse you, and he's actually calling down a curse on them. So why is that? Why is the, why is the difference? Why is Jesus, why, Paul just wasn't really being Christ-like. He just suffered silently and took his licks. Right. I think Yeah, and that's exactly who was Jesus. We weren't. We we aren't called to. Um, now, hear me on this. Imitate Jesus in every method that he did. He is the lamb to the slaughter. Surely, uh, you can translate that to the especially to the early church being persecuted and they suffered a lot of wrong, um, un, you know, unjustly. But Jesus was completely silent. He was to fulfill the prophetic word that he was going to be, he was going to go silently. He was going to go on behalf of the people. He was going to be a penal substitu- substitutionary atonement. Uh, and then when he says, you know, when he commissions the church, they're not commissioned to be silent. They are not commissioned to just... Uh, 
uh, take their licks in front of the, the Jewish council, right? They're not uh, commissioned, even when Jesus is telling the disciples <clears throat> towards the end of his ministry is, like, don't worry about what you're going to say, uh, because when they arrest you and when they persecute you, the Holy Spirit will give you words to say. Assuming that you're going to say something, you're going to make a defense, you're going to uh, preach the gospel, you're going to use your words to advance Christ's kingdom, to say something. You're not going to be, as, as Christ was being led, uh, just you know, uh, rejected by everybody, uh, abandoned by all his friends um, and all his disciples. You're not going to be silent. He's preparing a public platform for you. He's preparing for you to say something. And so the, the methods aren't exactly the same uh, because of Jesus' uh, special ministry in that. And so Paul gets up here and... What's that? What epistle is it where he tells people to make it, be ready to make a defense of the faith? Uh, that's uh, 2 Peter 3.15. Is it First Peter? First yeah. Peter 3.15. Yeah, and... And in God's sovereignty and what we see through the book of Acts is he's preparing a way for specific people in churches and individuals to make a defense, to proclaim the gospel. And a lot of that comes through, through persecution, especially in the book of Acts, uh, or opposition. And so I just want to mention that because uh, one of the things I've said uh, more than a few times is that we really need to get like some thick skin as Christians and be prepared and look out for what God is doing. And so when you meet opposition, he might be giving you an opportunity to, to proclaim what we're going to talk about, Paul's pro- proclaiming. And so, um, so Paul goes before the, the Jewish council. Uh, he curses the high priest, uh, so, sort of gives an apology. Um, and then Paul uses his wit, and um, I'm just going to use the word again, sarcasm, uh, to, to pit the, the Sadducees against the Pharisees. He says, I'm here on behalf of the resurrection, and he knew that there was two people, who would fight, two people in opposition that would fight against that. And so Pharisees are like, he could, an angel could have talked to him. Could be, uh, it's... Yeah, and it's essentially uh, it's essentially some charismatics and reformed people uh, fighting against each other <laughs> in the crowd. Uh, so don't worry, the microphone doesn't pick up everything from the crowd. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, opposite, uh, the the uh, you know the enemy, Satan especially, is trying to to divide. But God uses God's sovereign; He can't. Satan's not going to thwart God's plans. And so Paul here uses his wit to to pit them against each other. They start. There's another brawl that starts out, and then so they remove him back to the to the barracks. Move Paul back to the barracks, and then there's this conspiracy to kill Paul. And most of the time when we talk about a conspiracy, we're talking about conspiracy theories who are mostly, except in recent years, untrue. And, uh, and so, or, you know, mostly when you think about conspiracy, these wackos who are, but these, this is a really, a, they conspire to kill Paul. Uh, apparently they didn't know their crowd because Paul's nephew was there. Um, so Paul's nephew has specifically says Paul's sister's uh, son informs Paul. Paul tells 
the uh, the Tribune, the Roman Tribune, and they essentially get him out of there and send him to Felix the governor's, which is where we pick up in chapter 24. And so Paul goes to Felix the governor. He's a, 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 if you do a little bit of research, you get some things from Josephus, who wrote about him, and uh, who wants to take a guess? Were, were the Roman governors uh, righteous people? No. no. It was, if you can believe it, it's worse, they were worse than our politicians. And so, obviously, Felix was in, in this for a bribe. If you look towards the end of chapter 24, he was hoping to get something, some money from Paul. And at the end, he ends up leaving Paul in prison for two years to do the Jews a favor. He's not really, like, weighing what's righteous and what's not, what's fair and what's not. And so, uh, but, he is, but he is essentially a governor and a judge. And so Paul, I'm sorry, Felix brings the, uh, the Jews to him to, to, to get their side of the story. And then he hears Paul's side of the story. Um, and they're essentially, the, the Jews are kind of honest in this instance, ironically. And they just, he's, they're trying to charge Paul with things according to their own, own law. And Felix sees that yet he's still in jail. And so Paul makes his defense. And so I want you to think about this. And this is where I ask you guys not to read ahead, and this is the question I'm going to pose. Good. Or if you've, uh, if, you've read the, if you've read this chapter, I guess you can still answer. Just, uh, but anyways, so if you were going before Mike DeWine in a trial... And you had the opportunity to talk with him weekly and his wife, because that's what happens with Felix and his, and his wife. What would you talk to him about? Like, just give me an overview. Okay. Abortion and the gospel. Taxes. CDC guidelines. Okay. What else? Okay. We're getting... Let's hone, it, let's hone it down a little bit to Jesus. There we go. Well, he certainly talked about politics. Um, let's look in 24 verses 24 and 25. And this is really just what I want to focus on today. Uh, so after some days, Felix came with his wife, uh, Drusilla, which apparently this is his second wife named Drusilla. You're talking about weird. This guy was probably weird. Uh, who, was a, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak. Uh, he heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to list that as number one. And then he reasoned about righteousness, number two, self-control, number three, and the coming judgment. And Felix was alarmed and said, go away, and just... So it seemed like Paul reasoned with him and spoke with him several times um, um, over, over a period of time uh, until he couldn't deal with it anymore. And so the first thing, I mean, it makes it clear that Paul was preparing. He knew by the Holy Spirit that he was going to get persecuted. He was going to come into uh, Jerusalem. Um, and if you, I can't remember if it was in the last testimony of, of Paul, but so it's either in chapter 23 or, I'm sorry, 22 or 26, where, where when 
Paul was kind of arrested by Christ on the road to Damascus, he had told him part of what his ministry would be, and that would be to proclaim the gospel to Roman governors, to, to people in authority, to kings in various places. And so Paul probably, if the Lord had given you a vision or a prophetic word that you're going to do, this is going to be your ministry, you're probably going to get prepared for it. He probably had uh, something, something ready. And so he talked about faith in Christ, right? So he obviously preached the gospel to him. He, he uh, told him about uh, maybe go through the book of, of Romans and talked about justification, imputed righteousness, uh, the need for salvation. I don't think Felix cared too much about that. Um, and usually how it goes, if you're evangelizing to somebody, or uh, especially somebody who is... Uh, so I guess if you're evangelizing to somebody, they're not Christian. So if you're evangelizing to somebody and uh, you, you explain the gospel and they don't receive it, uh, usually if you're in a conversational way, the conversation is going to shift a little bit, right? Because... You need Jesus. You need forgiveness. I don't feel like I do. That's not my calling. Okay, what are we going to talk about now? And, and what Paul did, it says he reasoned about righteousness. And so that word reasoned is uh, the Greek word dialogamia, which is where we get dialogue from. But it's also the, the word used when the apostles are on the road arguing about who is the greatest. Right? So it's often translated argued. It's sometimes translated preached, but, but it's, it's to speak through. It's to talk through issues. And so what I think Paul was doing was reasoning with Felix about where, what righteousness is. And so uh, how does that... Um, let me just put this out there. So when you get in discussions about right or wrong with a non-believer... Where does the ultimate, what's the ultimate question? Where does it lie? What's, what's the standard? Right. What standard? And so you've got a governor that Paul's preaching to who doesn't seem to be receiving the gospel. So he talks to him about righteousness. This is what's right and wrong. And I guarantee you, uh, uh, well, I've seen it in, in videos of politicians. Politicians are easy because, number one, they're a little distant from our actual society. Uh, but if you started getting into a, a discussion with somebody in authority, in any authority, about what's right and wrong, whether that's in a workplace or whether that's in a, in a school or, or whether that's a council member you know, in a, in a local city government about what's right and wrong and how you do it. And then you start asking, but this is what we're doing and this is what you're allowing, right? I could see why in, uh, Felix says, uh, says Felix gets alarmed. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that was about the righteousness, about the self-control, or about the coming judgment, particularly, probably all three, but it alarmed him. And so uh, the ultimate question is, what's your standard? How do you know what's right and wrong? And we live in a very, we live in a pluralistic society where, um, quite frankly, we don't, um, uh, we have, we don't have a clear definition of what's right and wrong. That is very clear. Your way is right. Preach it, sister. 
No, I agree. My way is right. No. Right. It's very. Yeah, it's very relative. And so we've uh, gone away from having any, uh, obviously to need any kind of societal-wide standard, you need a societal-wide God. And so um, we don't, I guess we don't say it too much from the pulpit, and I don't, I don't know if we have any books on theonomy, but I would think that most of our leaders are theonomists, which means that uh, we believe, I'll just say, I'll just say it to me because I don't want to, other leaders can get up here and, and raise their hand and give their oath. But are we, are we condemning our society? Mirroring. I just don't know their standards. I just don't know what they, how they read the scriptures. But the scripture is the standard. And the way I read it is, and I think what Paul's doing here is saying that, that we have a standard, and it's not just for here in the church. It's not for me in my household. It's not just for me. It's for the governors. It's for the whole society. It's for the uh, nation that doesn't have any Christians in it right now. It's, uh, if Christ is Lord, he's Lord of all. He's Lord of the government. He's Lord of, of every nation. You know, when it says that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that means uh, that, that, that's what we're going for, even, even the governors. And so... Um, <clears throat> and yep. Yeah, we're we're Christ's law, where the law of God rules over society. Well, that's the standard in the government, in the the civil laws. That's what theonomy would be, okay. and. I don't see any way around it because it's, it's whose law are you going to get? Is it going to be God's law or is it going to be man's law or is it going to be some other God's law? And it's not, well, it's a, it should be a, you could say a thesis. Yeah. Because there's even. Uh, it could. And what's wrong with that? Have I? <laughs> you guys are the Sadducees and the Pharisees fighting. I'm just sitting up here. Hey. So, and so, right? <clears throat> and so he's, you should be able to reason through it. Paul, it says that Paul dialogued, he argued, he, he fought through it. You should be able to, to, uh, reason through it. A lot of times what happens if you're talking to unbelievers or talking to friends or just, uh, or even just arguing amongst Christians is, if, at least if you're, if you're arguing with Christians, you can both say, hey, let's open up the Bible and read it and let's take a look at it because we're both, we, we have this commonality and so I can argue with other Christians about this is what the Bible says and this is how we should interpret it and this is what it means and, and, and that's good. But what I think Paul was doing was just reasoning um, uh, partially apart from the scriptures on, on what is right and what is wrong. And there are some things you can, if we say, uh, like, life is valuable. We all say, yeah, life is valuable. 
um, except for, for the marginalized, and, uh, which is usually the youngest and the oldest in our culture, and is going that way much more rapidly. And so, uh, or the poor. Their life is less valuable. Uh, or the incarcerated. Uh, don't get me on the incarceration. We'll talk about theonomy later. Uh, and what's a biblical, what's a biblical answer to the, uh, to the prison system? But, but, I think, but I think what Paul was doing was reasoning, and I think we should all be able to do that. And uh, uh, what happens, what's nice, in, at least in a church culture, is we can get together and, and argue, and we can hopefully uh, end with, you know, and forgive each other as Christ forgave us, and we can still be friends, and, and we'll see each other next week, and we'll argue some more, uh, or, or sometimes we'll just sit at a different table in the fellowship hall and, until we're ready, until I've done my research or something, and, and come back to it. And so, but he was able to reason about, about righteousness, um, and so I just want to commend people, uh, what, well, let me just ask you, where was the moral law summar, summar, summarized, uh, and comprehended? Where? where? In the Bible, is the moral law... So love the Lord and love your neighbor. Love the Lord. Yeah, that's pretty good. How do you love? What is it? Yeah, I'll just love him. I love him. Really? You don't look like you're looking at me that way. Well, I said it. I said it. I mean it, right? John Luke, what'd you say? What'd you say? No, no, no. What'd you say about the, where's the moral law summarized? Yeah, I'm just I'm just reading from this paper. So of no Well, yeah. Well, you should. Uh the moral, I'll just answer my own question. It's not my question. It's a bunch of other dudes questions. The moral law is uh I'm sorry, that's the wrong question. Where would I go? The moral law is summarily comprehended in the 10 commandments which were delivered by the voice of God upon Mount Sinai and written by him in two tablets of stone and are recorded in the 20th chapter of Exodus, the first four commandments containing our duty to God, and the other six, our duty to man. So the only reason why I asked is, where I said I love, because a lot of people say they love, but, but then, again, what's your standard for love? And uh, so this is the Westminster Larger Catechism. I've uh, commended this before. I commend everybody that if you don't know the Ten Commandments, if you can't list the Ten in a summary form, then that's where you should start. You should probably start there. Don't try to reason with anybody. Don't try to... Uh, what you should just do is repent and go and memorize them and learn them. That's what you should do. And so uh, what happens in, as you, uh, as just in a basic educational sense and, in a, and as you get sanctified and... and uh, progress in Christ is you learn things dogmatically. This is what the Bible said. The Lord said, do not kill, or thou shalt not murder. It doesn't say don't kill. It says, thou shalt not murder. And then you know it's wrong to murder, and then you learn what that means. 
down the road, hopefully soon, uh, <laughs> right? It says, you shall not bear false witness against one another. You understand that it's wrong to bear false witness. You know that dogmatically. That's what the word of God says. And then you learn what that means. And then uh, once you learn what that means, then you try to talk to somebody about it and you realize you don't know it that much. And then you're like, oh, I need to be able to reason through it. And so that's just, those are just basic stages of, of education. And, but you have to learn it kind of dogmatically first. And so when you're uh, in a culture that's so relativistic, you should have the Ten Commandments memorized and be able to uh, at least say, I know this is wrong because God said it, and it's right here in the 20th chapter of Exodus, and he said, don't do it. And that's what it is. <laughs> right? That's where you could start. Um, and then a good, uh, a good practice would be if you... So first thing, memorize them. Know the ten in at least a short form. Know which numbers they are. There's different numbering systems, but just, but just use my, just take it from my word. You can do the research later. Use the Protestant form, the Protestant numbering system. And I could talk to you privately about why that seems to be right, but uh, God's it doesn't say these are the Ten Commandments and here they are. It later says that these are the Ten Words, these are the Ten Commandments that Moses spoke, and we see a list that we know there's ten in there. And so the Catholics, the Eastern Orthodox, and the Protestants all number them differently, and the Jews. Um, So anyways, a good place to start in being able to reason through righteousness is the Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechisms. And so I will give one point that means nothing to anybody who can answer me off the top of their head how many questions there are. 52. That is exactly wrong. You thought I was going with exactly right. No. That's a different catechism. It's higher. The, West, the Westminster Larger Catechism. How many? 136. Get those numbers up. Get those numbers down. It's 166, I think. I remembered it. I looked at it last night. I think it's 166. Yeah, look it up. Google's good for something. Or is it 176? Because that's how many verses are in one, Psalm 119. 196. Thank you. Thank you, Elder Paramala. From the back. 196 questions about what does about the Christian religion. And that's a good place to start. 196 questions. I printed off, again, uh, I printed off questions 91 through 155, which are just on the moral law. And so this is uh, the Westminster Confession came out within 100 years after the Reformation where they were really studying and getting their Bibles back and reading them for, them for themselves for the first time in a few hundred years, and they were able to define these things. And so you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Just go back to what some faithful uh, Christians in, in the past did and start there. And so every, uh, so start with the Ten Commandments if you're going to be able to reason about righteousness. Start with the Ten Commandments. Um, 
uh, and work through a catechism like the Westminster Standards. Uh, there's also the Heidelberg Catechism. If you're, if you're uh, confused about the sovereignty of God, look at the canons of Dort. Those are good. Um, and there's, there's different uh, professions of faith, catechisms, um, and creeds throughout history that you should, you should read and, and kind of know what they're about. And so uh, when we live in such a relativistic culture, you should have a definitive answer about this is right or this is wrong on, on a lot of issues uh, and have a, a biblical defense of why. This is what God said. And so don't get mad at me. This is, what, this is just what the Bible says. It's plain as day, and here you go. And so uh, we've gotten, just in the evangelical world, we've gotten into, it, if, go back and listen to, to Catherine's church history lectures about, especially after the great first and second great awakening, we've become very pietistic, which means we've kind of separated our faith from any actual obedience. And so... Paul uses, I think Paul's using his ministry in, in, his, in his arrest, and he's before the governor to reason to him about what is right and what is wrong. And I think, because it doesn't tell us plainly in the text, that Paul would have said, you're the governor, you're in charge, you can stop this. And so uh, I think he reasoned with him about a lot of that. Now we'll ask Paul in heaven because I don't know exactly what he said but I think he would have been doing that um, because he did the same thing in front of the Jews who were in, in charge of their, their uh, Jewish society and, and, and various other places. <clears throat> and so the next thing he reasons about is self-control. And so he puts, I, I don't know if this is pancaked in here or sandwiched in here like it is for this reason, but he says righteousness, self-control, coming judgment. Right? Here's what's right and wrong. Are you doing it? There's a judgment coming. Right? Uh, I don't know if that judgment is the judgment on, on particularly Jerusalem and, and in the broader culture that he's talking about, or if he's talking about the, the coming judgment that we talk about in the creeds that Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead, or both. I don't know. Uh, but he makes it personal when he's reasoning about righteousness, then he goes to self-control. So what you could think Paul was doing, or what I, what I imagine Paul was doing, was saying, here's, here's an issue, here's what's right, and here's what's wrong, and uh, like, say, let's say, taking bribes, because Felix was obviously in it to take a bribe. Taking a bribe is wrong, it perverts justice. And Felix, Felix could mentally ascertain to that, and then, he, then he, Paul would throw it in his face and say, but what are you doing? What do you, you're a judge, you're a governor, and you're taking bribes. You're perverting justice. And you think that's going to go well for you? <laughs> Good luck, right? And so I think uh, we see this throughout uh, various parts of Scripture, but I think in here is, is just what I want to bring it uh, to, for everybody is when you're when you have the opportunities with family, with friends, coworkers, when you're evangelizing, when you're discipling or, or counseling, in any format, you're essentially using, a, I don't want to say it's like a plug and chug method, but it's, it's, there is kind of a, 
a natural progression, and it doesn't really matter if you're evangelizing or counseling. It's kind of the same thing. Here's what's right and wrong. Are you doing it? Right? Here's what the Word of God says. Here's what's uh, plainly evident of what's right and wrong. Are you doing it? And if you're not, are you, are you scared? Uh, are you, do you have any conviction about, about how God feels, about what God said to, to do it? If There's some people, you know, in, and not that you have to beat people up or that we should beat people up in the sense, but sometimes you realize that uh, someone's, you get to like the self-control, like are you doing it phase, and you realize that they're like Paul in Romans chapter 7 where he's like, oh, wicked man that I am, who's going to save me like from this body of death? And they're at that point, they're like, yeah, they're crying out to God for salvation, like help me, I can't do it, I just, I just don't know what to do. And sometimes they're like, eh, nah. Yeah, I know it's wrong. So what? Uh, and then that's where you either go to judgment or uh, you go to that phase. So I do want to commend everybody with um, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's all of us. Everyone's going to sit before the judgment seat. Uh, sometimes in our lofty Christian thinking, we think that we're just going to like uh, go through the door over here to heaven and God's going to be like, yeah, you guys prayed that prayer. That's cool. Just come on the side if you just it's on the honor system in here. So just going through the back door. And then everybody else is going to sit before judgment and uh, before Christ and be cast off to hell. But that's not what is going to happen. Uh, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so we're all sitting before the judgment seat of Christ at the end of time when the, re when the final resurrection happens. We all appear before it, and he raises some to eternal life and some to eternal death based on uh, whether good, whether they did good or evil. And that's not a standard uh, that we get to make up. It's a standard in Scripture. And we can't do it. It's an impossible standard. And we get justified through faith in Christ. And that and then when our righteousness, or when our sinfulness is imputed to Christ, he imputes our righteousness, and we're considered clean before God. But then if we have the Spirit, it says that we're clearly going to walk in his ways. It says clearly that uh, now, again, we don't put a, a form and a mold to, to everybody. That Some people start like a mile back in the race, and they're trying to get caught up to where some people started in the, at the start of the race. And so we don't uh, put any kind of um, mold or standard, but the only, in that sense, but the only standard is that if you have the Holy Spirit, if, if you really have faith in Christ, if you really have living faith, show it by your works, show it by your life. And so you're not getting judged on, uh, uh, on some nebulous sense of, of good or evil, it's based on whether Christ has made you alive and given you living faith for living works. And so I just want to commend everybody that, if, uh, that you should be able to reason through these things like Paul was prepared to do, like what Paul was doing. And if you haven't, there's very good resources that have been available for hundreds of years to, to get you started where you don't really have to 
just open up the Bible and figure it out for yourself. Um, and if you guys want any more resources on particularly the reasoning aspect uh, and on the moral law, let me know. Amen. Let's get some coffee. Hopefully it's finished.